We're going to be in verses 28 through 39. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles with me. So Romans 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. A great passage. Good morning, Reliance. Happy Mother's Day. Um, What a privilege it is that I have had to be able to been parented by an incredible woman and then to be able to be married to an incredible woman and watch her nurture our children. Uh, It is a privilege and I know that even in this midst there are great pride in many of the husbands, fathers, as we've watched you mother your children. The power of a woman in nurturing the people around them is incredible. Uh, And I think it is uh, something to be honored as well. I want to stop before I go to the text, before I go in prayer. Um, we're, we're going to finish up with Romans 8 today. Uh, what a wonderful chapter it has been to delight in. And then as a church, we're going to stop. Uh, and we're not going to get back to Romans until July. As you know, Reliance Fellowship has established a pattern that in the month of June, Jacob doesn't preach. There's this perception that Jacob doesn't work in June. And this year, that is true. I will not be working at all in the month of June. So if you text me, it'll go to Adam um, or Greg, uh, Pastor Adam. And uh, reality is, is that uh, we want to develop in our culture this opportunity to have allow other people to preach, give Adam opportunity to preach, and how delighted it is to learn from him as I have over the years. And uh, I look forward to what he'll be guiding us through. He will be spending the time going through Philippians. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be reflecting as a church. 
you walk in every Sunday and you see a sign, but as you walk by it, you often, we as I do, we forget. It reminds us as a people of who we ought and trying to be, a people who embrace the gospel regularly. Two, that we remain in Christ. And three, how we express the love of Christ to one another and to this community. And over the next three weeks, I just want to remind ourselves as a people what we have as members have committed to. And as a result of this, I hope that it will prepare us as we get back into Romans 9 in July. One other thing. After those three weeks, I want to remind you as you make your mental preparations, we will, we're almost done. In a couple of weeks, we'll be putting carpet down. You notice the speakers are off the ground. I am sorry that, that for mothers or those who need the other space to take your children. The service is not over there for you today as we were rewiring cords. Couldn't get it all done this week. Um, we're almost done. And so in three weeks, what are we going to do to celebrate? We're going to go outside. And, <laughs> and for several weeks um, in June, we will uh, be meeting at the wardens. You will get the address of that place, a wonderful outdoor park. Um, and we'll enjoy uh, outdoor worship as we do our last step in doing remodeling to our bathrooms. So you'll hear more of that um, as we go forward. But uh, I look forward to what God has done. God has been so gracious. Thank you for all the hours and discipline to volunteer to make this even possible. So with that said, let's get into Romans 8. What a delight. Would you pray with me? Lord, we sang in one of our songs... Heaven has nothing left to give. Why? Because you have given yourself and your son, Jesus Christ. And if it is true that if God is for us, why do we fear? Lord, there are treasures in this word that there are those who have not yet comprehended yet as I not been able to understand the depth which is revealed in these words. Yet when I read them, they are so marvelous, it's like trying to describe the power or the strength of a mountain to someone who has never seen it. Some of these things are hard to define. We can see them and we can captivate, be captivated by them, but I ask, Lord, that if there's anything you could gift us this morning, would you just allow, through my words, just a heightening of what you have granted to those who hope in Christ. And so that we could treasure what you have done for us in Christ a little bit more. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe and we teach. If you're a member of this church and you have gone through and read our doctrinal statement, we believe in eternal assurance. And we believe this. And when I say that, I don't mean to state that we believe in eternal assurance in that we are wishful thinkers. Or we embrace this, this idea on the basis of our own merit or our own works. We believe and we teach the assurance of a believer because this is the power of the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for us in that while we were still sinners, He demonstrated the love of God. And who believes in these things Live by faith in that reality. If you might allow me, I just need to be blunt for a moment. I imagine in a room this size, there are some who are interested in Christ. They are, they are 
considering Christ. You may even be almost believing in Christ. You know the gospel. You know that the wrath of God is against those who practice ungodliness. You know and you have learned that Christ has died for your sins. And that he was buried and that he was rose again. And he now sits at the right hand of the Father. You know these things. And he has been patient with you. He waits for you to receive his salvation and respond in faith. I imagine in a room this size there might be some who have yet responded to the gospel. These words are not for you. These passages, this passage, and the words that are being described here are not for you. It is not for the one who is considering Christ, and surely not for those who have rejected Christ. These words, which Paul has written to the church in Rome and to the churches throughout every generation, are for those who are of the beloved. And we recognize this. And while this might be blunt... We recognize that when we go to a birthday party and we go to set the birthday party presents aside, there is a name that is written on the gift. And every child who is of four, age of four recognizes the gift is not theirs. It is the gift of the one which the name is written upon. And here is the reality. That what Paul has revealed to us here in this passage, it is to those in Christ Jesus. And so with that said, I ask, why do you wait? Why in the world would you wait and not learn to claim these as your own? And unless you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith, these are not for you to find comfort. To those of you who have hoped in Christ, to those of you who have responded to Christ, you know the gospel. You know the wrath of God is against those who have practiced ungodliness. You have learned that Christ has died for your sins, that He has been buried, that He has rose again, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. You know this. You believe in it. You trust in these things. These words are for you. These are for you to cherish. These are for you to, to contemplate in your mind and know that God has saved you, and that He loves you, not based on anything you have ever done. And for me, I remember. Why do I worry? I was seven. I responded to the gospel around the age of four or five. But I wish I knew these words at the age of seven. Every night, I would go to bed. I had two sisters. That just creates problems for us, brother, right? We torment... I tormented. I, my brother was involved, right? So half of it was his fault. But I remember as a five or seven year old boy waking up in the middle of the night and fearful that God would strip the gift of salvation from me based on the previous actions of the day. Verses like Psalms fifty-one, eleven: Do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I would plead, Lord, don't take it away. And night after night, I was so concerned by my previous actions that my parents were faithful to reveal to me that somehow I have disqualified myself. But it's not just the seven-year-old that does this, does it? 
there is this embedded fear within our humanity that gifts that are given can be taken away. I remember when I went to Jerusalem and I stood at the place in which Jesus conquered death. You can go to it. I remember the instructor warning us. You guys are going to enjoy this totally different than those who live here. And he was right. And as I went into the place where Christ had conquered the grave, which is real close to the place which he died for our sins, I saw a people who lived in fear, who came there every day to light a candle, hoping that their faithfulness and their merits by lighting these candles would somehow keep the favor of God and not strip it from them. I have seen it firsthand in this city. I have witnessed the spiritual abuse that someone places on another. They don't listen to God's word for themselves or delight in the things revealed in Romans 8. If you do that, God will disown you. And they love the, the power that this gives, and so they use fear. If you, do, if you do that, God will reject you. As if they determine these things on the basis of God's revealed word. I have seen many in this city who are trapped. I have seen many in this world that are trapped, like the seven-year-old boy who pleads with the Lord, don't take it from me. Paul writes these words to those who are in Christ. He writes these words to the church so that they might understand the power of God in the gospel. And the question I had asked those who are outside of Christ, why do you wait? The second question I have for you, those who are in Christ, why do you worry? And as Paul goes on to reveal these things, all fear and all doubt should be removed as you understand the power of the gospel in what God has revealed to yourself. Adam spent last week looking over verses 28 and 30. And today, in light of that reality, Paul concludes this response. And so many can't get it. So many will say, that's not true. Paul writes this to you. That you do not have to worry that somehow you will escape or God will pull the rug out from underneath you if you are indeed in Christ. And so for us as a church and as a people, we can live with this assurance. God has done it. And we haven't. And we get to delight in that and respond in faith. And so this is what I want to do. No points. They're kind of like points, but I just want to walk through this passage and delight in these truths. And as we answer the question, why do you worry? Do you understand, verse 31, in light of God who has foreknown us and predestined us and justified us and going to glorify us in verse 31, do you understand God is for us? Verse 31, it reads, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? All we have to stop and all we have to do is stop and let it sink in. God. God is for us. Do you not realize what Adam had revealed to us last week? That God knew you before you knew you. God knew you before you knew you, and He foreknew you and chose you. Praise God that 
Paul did not write, man is for you. That's not an advantage. As we recognize advantage. God who has said it in Psalms 139, 16's, 16's, is that right? 16. <laughs> your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And your book, in your book, were written all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. God knew you before you knew you. And before you came into this world, He had decided to predestine you for Him. Some of you say, will not enjoy this truth because you have not come to understand the joy of what it means to be predestined. And the reality is this, is just stop it. I know what you're thinking on the back end. Well, if He's predestined me, does that mean He doesn't predestine others? Stop it. This is for you to enjoy and to consider God chose you before you even knew you. And as a result of this, this has become your incredible advantage. And you know for the truth that we love an advantage. I know this. When I was born, my parents gave me an advantage. 200 acres of woodland. Not many, my children, they have a backyard with Eight feet one way and six feet, 16 feet the other way. That's not an advantage. I had an advantage. I could go into the woods and create forts and holes in the ground. It entertained me for hours. But my own community that I was a part of gave me an advantage. But it only brought me thus so far. My schooling gave me an advantage. My relationships give me an advantage. My country gives me an, an advantage. But when that's compared to God... They are all worthless. I remember, when it comes to an advantage, when God is for you, when it comes to advantage, our culture loves it. I remember when I was at Creation Fest. Familiar with Creation Fest, this event where they bring all these artists in, they bring speakers in. I was in charge of the prayer tent, and I had an advantage, and it was a lanyard. And on the lanyard, it had VIP access, which meant I had access to go behind this wall in which nobody could see and go speak one-on-one with the artists and with the uh the speakers i never used it i always have this thing with meeting people that are on a stage and so i didn't want to meet them everybody else around me like why don't you go use your advantage our world loves advantage whether it be schooling, whether it be family, we recognize that we want an advantage. And as a result of this, Paul puts before your advantage, God. And the funny thing that I find in our society, in our community, we connect advantage to person or people or humanity. And we do not, as a society, think our advantage rests in God. And to that regard, Isaiah even rebuked the nation of Israel for regarding man who has breath in his nostrils and says this, why in the world would you even esteem man when you got God? Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in the nostril for why should he even be esteemed when you got God? If God is for us, who is against us? If God foreknew me, if he predestined me to be conformed to his image of his son, we call this advantage. When man speaks, just think about it. Let's just toy with this. When man speaks, 
he can't even sustain his own life or destiny. Yet when God speaks, he dictates the times and the season. Let it snow today. Let it be 85 today. Let it be a monsoon day. When the waters of the deep, when God speaks, man can even, we can dictate or at least see what's coming in the weather. But God of, of the heavens is able to delegate to the waters of the deep what to do. Peace be still. Or create a wall one side or the other for a nation to walk through. He makes demands upon the winds and they listen. When a man speaks, do the clouds listen? Have you ever tried? You can be considered a fool. So why in the world would you regard the strength of a man when you have God on your side? When a man says to the water, stop here, do they obey? No. But to the oceans, how far do the oceans go? Where God has said to go and where to stop. Yet when God speaks, here is the truth that is revealed within scriptures. When he speaks, it goes forth from his mouth. Isaiah 55, 11. So will my word, by which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. Without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. I can tell my children, go clean your room. But the ability of my word to influence the child to do in obedience what I expect is very limited. When God says it, what it happens? It happens. It motivates. It compels the winds, the seas to do that which he has aimed. This is what we call, brothers and sisters, the advantage. When God says before the foundations of the world, that's my son. He will accomplish it. Do you not know that he made that decision before you even knew yourself. And he has set it in motion to accomplish it. When man attempts to create, he must build upon that which has been created. Yet God creates out of nothing. This is what we call an advantage. When a man approaches a mountain, he must climb it. When God approaches the mountain, they melt like wax. Man can't even keep a goldfish alive. But he feeds the livestock of this entire world without even thinking and being where it's like pulling from his resources. I can provide for my family, but I can't provide for all of you. This is what we call an advantage. And this is verse 1. You cannot find comfort. Not verse 1, but verse 31. You cannot find comfort and these things, if God is this big. And yet we know the scriptures have revealed to us that God is so much bigger. And then he provides for the birds. Why do you worry? The birds of the air get what they need. Surely, beloved, you'll get what you need. My children, I remember being a child. Like, I never remember fearing. Like, we had have food. Mom and dad always had it for us. And that perspective of a human figure then does not get connected to the one who is superior, which is God. Man can keep a goldfish alive, but God cares for everything. Man can't even escape the power of death and look at him try. But God can. He can toy with it. He can conquer it, and he can say to whomever he wishes, freedom from it. And he grants it to those who are of his beloved. If God is for us. 
who is against us. Why do you fear? Why do you wait? You trust in humanity to provide you the answers that you hope for? You'll find yourself depressed for the rest of your life. Hoping that this next figure, political leader, or next outspoken individual could give you the hopes that you desire. You will find yourself desiring longing for the next. Why don't you start with God? Those of us in Christ, why do you even fear? He, in verse 32, he did not even spare his own son. When it comes to gifts, look at verse 32 and I'll read it. I'll say this. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? I have heard it said. (laughs) I've heard it said that it's not the type of gift that counts, but the thought. That's hogwash. You know this. You ask a four-year-old kid. Does the gift count and matter? No, I'm going to get pushed back. No, the gift does matter. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I turned 40. A couple came to me, handed me a card, and they said, what's in the, gift, in the card? Determines what we think of you. Now, I'm 40, and I've been a great impact in their life. Right? Um, imagine if you have a loved one that gave you a gift. Hey, I want to demonstrate your worth and value. And in the gift, this card, um, that'll be an appreciation of what you have made an impact in our life. And so, it's my 40th birthday. You take what you put in the card and double it, right? So I turn and I open the card, you know what was in it? A dollar. <laughs> and we roll laughter. Why? Because we know the quality of a gift expresses our appreciation for someone. We know this. That the type of gifts that we give demonstrate the love that we have for one another. And what did God give us? He has access to billions. God could have given us Gabriel. No, he could have given us the hosts of angels. He had given us all things on earth. No, what did he give us? Christ. What I find so interesting is that we do not, because of our lack of growing understanding who Christ is, we tend to minimize the gift that has been given to us. By myself, one thing looking at my children, an infant, you can give them a toddler. Let's say toddlers. Infants aren't ready yet. But you can give them a toy phone, right? And what will they do? They'll put up their ear and they'll blah, 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 and they'll talk. There's a moment when that child that gets to like 14, 15, or 16, when they start driving, a parent goes, it's wise. It's a good time to consider giving them a cell phone. And you give them the cell phone, and they go, whoa, God, this is a wonderful gift. Now, if I gave the 16-year-old the toy cell phone, what does the 16-year-old do? Gifts matter, Dad. And the result of this is we recognize that in our appreciation of knowing who our children are, we give them good gifts. But imagine this, a 16-year-old who gets the phone and comes to Dad and says, Dad, can I have a toy phone? What does the father say? I gave you a real phone. Of course, you can have a toy phone if you want one. Because in comparison, the real one is way vastly greater than the little one that you used to play with. And this is exactly the argument that Paul has made. 
He has given you all things in Christ. As a result of having all things in Christ, everything else is minimal. It's simplistic. Pennies. And this, that He has given us the greatest gift. He who did not spare His own Son for you. He is graving you everything. And when you ask God the Father, hey, can I have food today? He can say, of course, I've given you eternal life. And in comparison to eternal life, food is pennies. And the result of this, we realize what we have been given. Do you not realize that Christ is the radiance of the Father's glory, the exact representation of His nature who upholds everything by the word of His power given for you. Do you not know that Christ is the one who, while He sits at the right hand of the Father, it is He who created the angelic realm. He is worshipped by the angels within the heavenlies. The angels serve Him. Colossians 1, 15-17 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the one of most honor, that's what it means, of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in, he- excuse me, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things. What has been given to you? Everything. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Christian, if God is for us and He has given everything for you, what assurance, what else do you need? Has He not communicated His intention? Food, money, resources, do you not think that He will give you what you need? Why do you worry? Why do you wait? And the greatest gift, eternal life, has been given to you if you would respond by faith. It was at the baptism. The Father made it abundantly clear. This is my beloved Son. There is nothing like we sang in the song this morning for heaven to give. That is it. He has poured out His, so to speak, savings account and resource For you. And he did this before you knew you. What great love the Father has bestowed for you. And what is so fascinating about these words. Of how very little you have to do. To enjoy it. Because it's all God. Christ is the author of life. He's the eternal image of the Father, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who begins and concludes all things. And He gave them for you. So with that said, we ask pennies of God when we compare it to Christ. Because He has given us all things in Christ. Verse 31, 32. What shall we say then? These things. God is for us. Who is against us? He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all. How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Who? If God chose us, just let it sink in. If God chose you before you do you, to whom 
will hold God accountable for that decision. No one. He has chose you within his own will. And so in that regard, no one can go before God's elect or chosen and change that decision. For it is God who is the one who justifies. Verse 34. Who would then dare even condemn? Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Now stop for a moment and recognize that when Christ came to die for your sins, brothers and sisters, Christ did not do this because the Father said to. Well, the Father did say to. He delighted the Son, delighted, he wanted, he enjoyed to do it for you. Christ gave up his life for us voluntarily. And that he wanted you incorporated into the kingdom which is to come. And so with this regard, I remember as a child, we had this little trick. Kids are smart, right? Mom, can we go over to our friend's house? Mom would say, I don't know, go ask your dad. And we learned over the time that if we could use mom's name in the request with our father, the answer would be yes. Hey, mom said to ask you, she thinks it's okay, but she wants us to ask you. We go to our friend's house. You've experienced this. What my dad would do, what, what were we doing? We were attaching a name of respect to our request, which gave us favor in our father's mind. Who sits at the right hand of the father bestowing his great joy for you? Christ. And so that when we make requests, Hey, Father, Jesus, you remember him? Yeah, you remember him, yeah. Weird. You remember he died for me? He rose again on the third day. You sent him before I even knew me? Hey, can I have today's food? The Father would say, of course. On the basis of you've asked by the one who I delight in most. There is one who sits at the right hand and did not die for you out of guilt. Yes, I'll go do this, Father, but out of delight and joy, anticipation, the eternal image of God who sits at the right hand of the Father intercedes for us. And God has done this and provided this for you before you even knew you. And so therefore, we have access. And who is it that can condemn? When I was a seven-year-old, what I did not realize is what God had done for me. This is the power of the gospel. God loves you, beloved. He loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. He's not a God that sits in the heavens and says, go through the motions. No, he's a God who desires to have a relationship with you and has gone through all the steps to provide that opportunity for you. And even though you don't know how to pray, He's helped you in that with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He loves you. So why do you worry? Why do I worry? I worry because about my actions. Well, that somehow make God not love me. But the gospel is this. God chose me before I even knew me. And if that's true, it doesn't matter. He knew before I knew what I was going to do yesterday and still chose me. And he knows everything that you're going to do and still delights in saving you. So why do you worry? 
You are saved by the work of Christ that has been given to you by the will of the Father. And He will accomplish that which He has said He will do. I will save them. And they will be my people. And that is not on the basis of what you can do. That is on the basis of what He has done for you. This is why the Scriptures declare salvation belongs to our God. Do not boast in that you have accomplished your salvation. What do Christians do? We recognize and we grant that to God and that we are the recipient of God's love. Who is there to condemn? Do you not know who's sitting at the right hand? Christ Jesus, it is He who died. Now, if Jesus was dead and remained dead, then we have no hope. But yes, rather He was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us? Then He concludes with this then. Who will separate us? Who will? If God's at the top and there's nothing above Him and everything below Him is in submission, there is nothing else to go to. When I live in a country, I can take someone to court. I don't like their decision. I can appeal. And I can go up to the courts. Up ultimately to the Supreme Court. But when the Supreme Court makes a ruling, what happens? That's done. Your salvation has been secured by God. There is nothing to appeal to. Yes, we do have an accuser. And he loves to do his job. Accusing the beloved. But the God who has saved you says, have you noticed my intercessor? Who has given up his life for them. They are justified. These truths are so marvelous to describe. Like sometimes I find it troubling. Like you can see a sunrise going in or sunset. Sunrises do. You can see a sunset headed into West Richland. And then you go home and you tell your family, did you see the sunset? And then you try to create it with your words and everything falls short. You will learn to delight in these things if you would commit yourself for the next hundred years and never see the full beauty of what is being described for you and what God has done for you. He loves you. He really, really loves you. On the basis of anything you've done, on the basis that he has created you. Why are you waiting? Is it possible? On a Sunday morning on Mother's Day, you're here and you've just realized that God loves you and that he has sent his one and only son for you. Could that not be the power of God bringing you to hear these words? Why would you wait? He's done everything for you so that you might delight in them. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? If all things, everything has been given to us, the, the menial things of life, will tribulation, trouble, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or of sword, will that cause separation? Christ endured such things. Did he experience the abandonment of God the Father? No. In fact, he was put on the most shameful thing in which you could experience. Did God abandon him there? No. Just as it is written, even for those who are of the select, verse 36, 
We will experience difficulty. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The world would think of those who hope in such things as foolish. And are aggressive as such ones who hope in a God who loves them before they even knew themselves. I imagine. I don't know. This is something that Paul, moved by the Spirit, may not even have realized. But as Paul writes these words, we know later, it's just a couple generations, the church will experience profound persecution. They'll be put into the Colosseums to animals, where animals will ravage them. They'll be hung up in Nero's reign to be a light for his gardens. I imagine... As a Christian, why do you respond to such things? Even in these, God loves me. And He's granted all things for me in Christ. He has given me eternity. And in all these things, verse 37, we are overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. Death has had a reign which it has conquered. But you notice when I said in my sentence, there's an ED at the end of it. You only reign until you're defeated. Every king reigns until he's defeated. Every elected official reigns until he's been replaced. Your hope lies in the one who conquers. There is no ED. There is no conclusion. And as a result of the hope that we have in Christ, the grace that has been given to you, you will reign. And everything that the world has to throw to us, we are find ourselves conquerors, not conquered. And it's in the light of that truth, Christians throughout all time have said, death, that's the worst you can throw me. I know my Savior. He conquered it. And while I wait, I will have my victory and I will reign with him. In all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. The worst thing you might experience in this world is death. And that's it. Think about it. The world who has no Christ in their hearts to hope for, that's the enemy. But our Savior has conquered the enemy and we hope in him. And so the worst thing that they can do to us is kill us. Well, we're going to get back out. This is exactly what they tried to do to our Savior and they can only hold him down for three days. In all these things, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who loved us. And then he concludes, I'm convinced that neither death puts it on the front end And by the way, even in life, nor angels, even the realm that we cannot see, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know how much more you can create a broader definition. Those in Christ are secure. Because God chose you before you knew you. And he said, I will save them. These words are for the beloved. He loves you. Yeah, you're going to be upset some days. 
You're going to be disappointed in the way that you responded to the world in front of you. You're going to regret decisions. I imagine even those who have committed abortion or those who have done many other sins regret their decisions. God still loves you. And He wants to have eternity with you. And so you can rest assured in these things that He who desires to have a relationship with you will accomplish it. And not on the basis of anything you do. And I know, I know in a room this size, there might be some thinking, is this really true? Paul wouldn't have wrote it if it wasn't. Paul knew what it was like to be heading the other direction away from Christ. And Paul was chained by the power of God in a moment. And everything that he thought was right, he realized was false. And as a result of this, God saved him. He was not saved on any basis. He killed. He killed those who lied with Christ. And now as a result of what Christ has done for him and the power of the gospel, it has transformed him to say everything this world has to offer, that's pennies in comparison to Christ. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that he who began a good work in me will finish it. And he says, I will save them. He'll do it. Then I must conclude with this. I've asked two questions. One, why do you fear? This does this, this theology, the critic says, well, now you're going to go do whatever you want. That's bad theology. Well, you can recognize that. When I give my kids a cell phone, which is one, <laughs> I expect the gift to be used, what? In a way that honors the giver. In the same way, you have been given eternity. You're not even to waste this present life. And using every moment of time that God has given you to honor the giver. This doesn't mean we do whatever we want, but it also doesn't mean that we have to live in fear. God is going to accomplish that which he said he would do in you. This is the power of the gospel. And those who believe by faith live according to this. The righteous will live by faith. Who saves me? God. Who's going to change me? God. Who's going to make me a better husband? God. And the racist, yes, as the process go, I fail. But God will ultimately accomplish his glory in me and in you. I've asked it several times as well this morning. Why do you wait? You can sit in church and you can watch and you can never make a decision. Don't. Don't. You're going to miss everything. You will miss everything that your heart desires. There is an eternal creator who created you and wants you. And your response to the salvation that he has been given to you is in faith. You know the gospel, I hope, and if you don't, God will pour out his wrath against those who practice ungodliness. But God demonstrating his love towards you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And that inheritance of salvation can be received by faith if you believe that Jesus Christ 
died for your sins, that he was rose again on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, ready to judge and receive those of the world. He will judge those who practice godly and ungodliness, and he will receive those as his beloved, those who hope in him and respond to his salvation by faith. Why do you wait? If you decide this morning not to wait anymore and respond in faith, these words are for you. I would read these very often. Whether you're saved, if you're saved, read them often. And if you are fearing that God might do something and take the gift away from you, I would read these very often. Paul is trying to give the church confidence. God wants to work in and through you and I, even in this city today. And to those who have not responded to Christ, why do you wait? Why would you want to miss such an opportunity as this? There's nothing that this world can do when you inherit Christ. He is our greatest reward. Would you pray with me? Who would dare give us a charge if God is for us? And condemn us. We do fear the, the fear of man presently in our own society. Fear the way that people perceive us. We fear the way that we might be understood. But when it comes to our relationship in Christ, Lord, you have chosen us. And you have communicated to us that you love us. That you are not ashamed of us. That you have desired before the foundations of the world to care for us. And so in your salvation, you have given us Christ. And praise God for Christ, for we have seen the holiness and glory of the Father who speaks to the winds and they obey, who walks upon the waters, who is perfectly obedient to the will of the Father, obediently, voluntarily, and with the light bore our sins on the cross, the wrath of God, so that we might enjoy with him the love of the Father. Lord, we long to see his face. We long to see our Redeemer who comes on the clouds of glory to establish the eternal kingdom in which we will inherit eternal life. But we know you wait. And in that waiting season, we recognize the troubles of life cause fear, even in your beloved. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us today. You do love us. There is nothing the world can throw us to sever the love that you have for us. And Lord, if there is anyone, while you wait to return to establish your kingdom, if there is anyone in this room who has not responded to Christ and is just waiting, please open their hearts today that they would no longer wait and claim these truths for themselves to know the hope that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we conclude in praise this morning, we have many reasons to praise the God who has saved us. Thank you for your Son, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand. Praise with me.